All right, this is always one of my favorite, favorite episodes we do. The man himself, Mr. Tony Basilio. I kid you not, Tony, it don't matter who I have on here. If I got a coach, I got Paul Feinbaum. I got CEOs of multi-million dollar companies. My dad never gets more proud of me than when I have Tony Basilio on the show. Thank you so much for making the time, Tony. Well, there's a reason for that. Your man, your father is a man of exquisite taste <laughs> and obviously a very, very bright human being. So <laughs> I, my compliments to him today. So, Tony, uh, let me get uh, your thoughts. You had me on your show about a week ago and we were you know, breaking down this SEC scheduling and and you couldn't believe that the SEC, after all this talk, we've been talking about this for two damn years, the SEC was going to stay at eight. Here we go a week or so later. It's, it's been confirmed. They're going to stay at eight. What's, what's your immediate thoughts to all that? Well, the first thing I do is tip my hat to you because you were talking about something nobody else was, Michael Bratton. And that does not go unnoticed by this living fan. That's number one. There weren't a lot of people in your space. Nobody, in fact, was saying, hey, when they convene here in a couple of weeks, they're going to go to an eight-game model, and Alabama's blocking it. You were the first. So I'm giving you incredible credit for unearthing that. Secondly, this is a league and always has been a league dominated by Alabama. The fact that Oklahoma and Texas didn't get a vote in this deal probably swings uh, what could have or should have or would have happened. That this league continues to be one of the only power conferences this year there's 14 or 14 teams in it i keep losing track but there's 14 officially right right only two of the 14 don't have at least two one to uh two non-power five games on a schedule i mean there is a lot of back slapping in this league there's a lot of bravado and talk but when it gets down to scheduling, there's just not a lot of there there. And we need to call it what it is as, as SEC fans. Look, I love the SEC. I love the passion. I love the fans. I love the level of play. I love the commitment to excellence. So why is it not there in scheduling? Hmm. How can you have a 14-team league next year, 16-team league, I'm sorry, and play eight league games? And then you want to tell me it means more. But you were the first guy. I'll tell you this, Mike. When you come on the air and you said that, and it was roughly 10 days before, 11 days before they dropped what they dropped. People said to me, that's not real. This guy's lying. That can't be real. I, I had some vitriolic hate emails. I can show you from some people <laughs> saying, you're just blaming people for no reason you're gaslighting people for no reason and those same folks came back and said i'm sorry i never dreamed in a million years they would do this it's embarrassing and here's the thing a lot of sec fans live in cross footprints with other leagues and they have to defend their league mm -hmm. and you can't defend this you can't defend this well, I, I just think, Nick Saban, you got to be careful what you wish for because, again, this is another thing that I said on your show, and, and this is true. If we stay at eight, the team I think that benefits the most 
is Tennessee. Because what you're essentially doing is you're likely dropping Alabama and you're, and you're likely dropping Georgia from the annual schedule. Now, you'll still play them every other year, so it's not like Tennessee will get some cakewalk, but you know their, their annual opponent's going to be Vanderbilt. That's not fair to the rest of the SEC, so just be careful what you wish for. I mean, but I think I know why Heupel probably uh, was leaning towards the eight because he had that information on hand as well. But um, uh, let's go to the team this year, Tony, because – I heard you recently on, I think it was the George Plaster show, great show out of Nashville, and they were hyping up Nico, and they wanted to get your thoughts on Nico, and you, you were really touting him. I know so many people, uh, when they talk about Tennessee this offseason, in their minds, it, the game's not this simple, but, but to a lot of people it is. How, how high can Joe Milton take this team? So I guess that's a two-parter for you. How high can Joe Milton take his team? And what's what are you hearing, Tony, the the voice of the common fan that's so well connected, one of the best connected in in all the SEC? What's the uh, the inner dialogue on what they've got in this Nico kid? Well, first of all, Joe Joe Milton's a mystery. You know, Joe Milton's got that tremendously strong arm, which makes him a natural curiosity. Uh, it makes him a perfect pitch man. The other thing Joe Milton's got going for him is you can't judge a book by its cover. And, uh, you know, so many times in sports we see this because his outward appearance doesn't project a guy who looks, who's a pretty serious person. Joe Milton's had a tale of, of two runs here in Knoxville. His first opportunity to play quarterback here the last time he was seen before he seated for Hendon Hooker mm-hmm. was him running out of bounds on fourth down. Now, I got to tell you, that's something that not a lot of people come back from. Joe Milton behind the scenes once that happened. And he was heading on a path like a Rolling Stone quarterback who matriculated from Michigan to here. The thought was, because this is what we're used to in the modern era, the thought was, oh, he'll end up transferring uh, once this is over. No. Not only did he not transfer, he became a team leader. He became best friends with Hendon Hooker. He became a guy that would cook for all his teammates. And they started having, uh, you know, community meals over at his place. And apparently he's quite the, quite the chef and this, that, and the other. Well, Joe Milton's a team leader. The kids love Joe Milton. Last year, when Hooker got hurt, the conventional wisdom went, oh, man, there goes the season. They're going to draw somebody pretty good in a bowl game and get smoked because he can't play. And and I got to be honest with you. I didn't think he could play. I mean, and and people say, well, on the air, I was kind of saying that. I just doubt this guy could play. Now, here's where I am with Joe Milton right now. To quote the great Dennis Green, some people are wanting to crown him. I'm not. One, one bowl game against Clemson does not a season make. And you've got to be able at this level to do it consistently, to consistently make the throws, to consistently make the reads, to consistently uh, make the good decisions, consistently make winning plays. Can he do that over what for Tennessee will be a okay schedule? It's not the hardest in the world, but it's not the easiest either. Can he do that over the span of a season 
to a point where Tennessee can perform. Like I saw, and I put it in my blog today over at tclub.team. If you want to check our stuff out, it's tclub.team. I saw where Circa has Tennessee's number. It was nine and a half. It's been bet down to nine in terms of win total on the year. Nine sounds about right to me. And if Tennessee wins nine games after losing Hooker, after losing the Blitnikoff Award winner, after losing everything they lost off last year's team, this is kind of a tweener year for the Vols. Um, that'd be a hell of a job. People don't want to hear that. People here think, oh, well, 10-11, you know, and, and look, that's all good. I mean, I'm for that. Don't get me wrong. In terms of Nico, second part of your question, Mike, again, can't judge a book by its cover. Nico was the kid with the sunglasses on indoors when he came on his official visit, brought a posse of like half a million people with him. Tennessee paid for it, uh, had a chartered plane where he came and played a flag football game locally in Farragut and like 25 of his teammates got out of it. I mean, tell me how many times you've ever heard of uh, a kid bringing 25 people across the country on a jet to play flag football. I think that's a little excessive. At any rate, Nico, since he's been here, has been deferential to the other quarterbacks, even a couple of the guys who are like guys that are never going to play, third, fourth, fifth string guys. He's been the first guy to meetings, the last guy to leave. He's been extremely humble. And look, he's a big money player. I mean, Tennessee gave him a life-changing opportunity to come here. And he hasn't behaved like a diva, which I've got to tell you, Mike, everything on the front end said that he was going to. And then he got on the field in December. I'll tell you a quick story. A buddy of mine's been over there forever who's helped me out with some information. He said somebody came at the day after his, I think it was his second, the second practice, because they had him out there running, like, scout team stuff, just kind of getting his feet wet, you know, whatever. Throw him in, see what happens. Guy said somebody knocked on his door and said, man, you got to come down to practice tomorrow. You got to see this. What do you mean? You just got to come see this. You just got to. He said, I walked out there. He said, this guy is firing the ball around, just like he said in his feet. And he's just making plays. And he doesn't know what he's doing, but he's just out there just, you know, running around making plays. He said to me, he said, this guy, if he studies it, is going to be freak show good. So that's your, that's that's the word on Nico. Going to be freak show good if, if he studies it, which I think he's studying it. Mm-hmm. I think he's pretty humble. Do you think he'll be too good to keep off the field? And when I say that, I'm not sitting here saying bench Joe Milton because I – I think that'd be foolish because like you just alluded to, I mean, he's still learning. Uh, you're not, you're not going to win at a, at a high level in the SEC throwing that quarterback on the field day one, but maybe as much as they possibly can get him into the fourth quarter, get just like they kind of did two at Alabama. I know they're different players, but Tua played a lot as a freshman uh, just, and it, it was just immediate. You saw, I mean, Jalen Hurts was a good player, but people were, were shaking their head. How we, how do we have this guy on the bench? And obviously it, it 
that switched in the national championship game. Do you think we'll see Nico as much as possible on the field this fall? Well, you're trying to drag me into something here, aren't you, man? <laughs> um, I really appreciate you doing that. Since I'm somebody that answers questions, I would venture to guess they'll find ways to introduce him this fall. I would venture to guess that they will. I don't know what that would look like. Heupel's pretty innovative. And if Milton has the kind of year that he thinks and some people think he can, I'm still not sure of that. But if but if he does, they're going to blow a bunch of people out with that offense. And that kid should get ample opportunity to play. If you're asking me, is he going to overtake Milton eventually? Uh, boy, they hope not. Right. And if that happens, that means, in my mind, they've not – had a good season, to be honest. That's correct. You. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Now, I, I hate to bring up a, a bad memory here, but uh, the defense in that South Carolina game, that is just imprinted in Vol fans' minds. So much so, Tony, that they overlooked that, uh, I mean, they just dominated Kentucky. They made, in my mind, Will Levis lost a first-round pick that night because he was so awful. Uh, I think the defense won them the LSU game. You can make the case defense won them the pit game, which was a pivotal game. Uh, I mean, the defense had many moments last year. What's your confidence level that uh, a performance like South Carolina will not happen this year to a Vol defense that I, I think is still, I think it's more talented overall, deeper. You know, they inherited a, a, just an awful mess. And I thought they were respectable year one. I thought they got better year two, aside from that South Carolina performance. What's your confidence level that uh, we won't have a disastrous performance in the SEC like that again? Well, South Carolina watched the film, first of all, because you're going to attack Tennessee secondary, attack them. How about it? Last season. They've got some young reinforcements coming now. <clears throat> They've really – focus their efforts on defense. You know, with Heupel, I thought this guy's an offensive mastermind. They're going to collect offensive pieces. Defense be damned. It's been almost the opposite. A lot of their loud hits in recruiting um, last year's class this year so far have come on the defensive side now. They didn't say they're not having their offensive moments. They've got – they're in line to get two of the best wide receivers in the country – one of whom hails from Georgia. So they're doing good things. In terms of Tennessee's defense this year, how quickly will the young guys be introduced? Because they've got a bunch of old heads back here that can't run. Mm -hmm. And I don't know because I'm one of them. I'm an old head that can't run. But I couldn't run when I was young. <laughs> right. So it takes a slow guy to know a slow guy. They have some guys who can't run at the, at the Division One level. And as you say, they were indicative of a spot you find yourself in when you're in a transition, as Tennessee was. Some of their talented guys walked out the door defensively uh, in, the, in the midst of that scandal that occurred here. And so uh, this thing, you know, you were left with what you were left with to play. For them to take that defensive level of talent last year and have the season they did, the South Carolina game notwithstanding, is remarkable coaching. It's incredible coaching. And so 
I think the defense this year probably is going to be uneven at times. Um, still not there yet. Next year and the year after that will be when Tennessee throws what I would consider a moving toward the upper tier defense in this league. Whatever that means these days, Mike, because nobody punts the football anymore. Right. And everybody plays Ben but don't break and everybody gives up four you know, four or five hundred yards. It looks like the it looks like the old Big Twelve <laughs> from twenty years ago, what's happened in this league now. Yeah. So I mean, even Alabama's defense looks that looks that way. So, I think Tennessee this year will have a tweener type defense in a year that, for 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 those reasons, is probably going to be like a little bit of a tweener year, which people don't want to hear again. The circa number now is nine. Uh, the win total, which sounds about right to me. I mean, you could make the case to win eight. You can make the case that they'll win nine. Winning ten will be will be very good. People say, "Well, you know, Alabama's not." I'm like, Alabama's not what they were five years ago, but they're still pretty damn good. Yeah. So well, there spe- is that. Speaking of Alabama, I, I definitely wanted to ask you this because you are the voice of the fan. You're more plugged into that fan base than anybody. I mean, just what was that like for for those fans calling in your show? Oh man! Last fall when Tennessee oh, man. beat Alabama. First of all, how many hours were you on? The, I, mean, I gotta imagine you were on for about twelve hours. We were on for. I'm trying to remember what when did that game start? I think that was a three thirty start. Yep, it ended about ten o'clock at night. Felt like. Yeah, <laughs> I know um, it was dark out. I know it was dark out when it was done. Was that a night game? We were on seven and a half hours. <laughs> we may have gone to like 3.30, 4 o'clock Eastern time. And again, my website is tclub.team if folks want to check that out. I- I'm doing baseball postgame stuff after Tennessee baseball games uh, during the postseason here. And And I'll tell you, this fan base is kind of incredible because – the other day, we did a football game-like number after a baseball game, which just goes to show you that this fan base has a lot of pride in their Tennessee volunteers across several different sports. And, and Mike, I'm just so built by God to do what I do. I just love people. And uh, when I'm not doing my show, I play a lot of live music, so I... I play music. I'm, I'm, I guess, a musician. I don't know. I use that term loosely, but I play a lot of live music as well. And I just enjoy, enjoy community. I enjoy being around people, and that's what we try and do, man. And people tell me on our post game stuff, they say, "Man, the great wins are really, really fun." And then from opposing fan bases, I get, "Hey, when the Vols lose, I can't wait to turn your thing on." <laughs> and just hear people just you know melt down because this fan base is this fan base is pretty damn good at the high highs and they're pretty damn good at the low lows <laughs> if you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean but uh i really wanted to ask you this too so uh the beat alabama last year fell short against georgia but obviously those flip-flop this year georgia's in kneeling late in the season on the road at alabama which game 
do you think it's more realistic that Tennessee wins this season? Because I would argue, personally, even though it's on the road, I think it's Alabama still. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Well, when Alabama made their move with their quarterback, bringing that kid from um, Notre Dame, and people can spin that all they want. Well, Reese really didn't like him. and uh, uh, Well, he's on your roster. He's on your roster for a reason. Mm-hmm. You show me a team right now in, in this league in college football that probably doesn't really know who their quarterback is in June. And I'll tell you that's a team that's gettable. Now, again, we have fans that are, that are like literally grabbing a pen and putting W next to that game. I'm not one of them. But of those two games, Georgia, we have to all be honest here. Georgia, Kirby Smart, though he cuts his hair with a Floby. Uh, young kids, look it up. Look up what a Floby is. Or at the very least, goes to sports clips. Here's a man making $9 million. I mean, go get your haircut something. You know, get a decent haircut, dude. <laughs> it's total world domination. It is total. When David Pollock looked right over there at Nick Saban and urinated all over his driveway, because that's what that is. And looking at that man on national television... And looking him right in the eye and saying, Georgia is the gold standard. What was his quote? Do you remember? Was it the gold? Georgia is the gold? What was the quote? They own college football. Whatever it was, Saban looked like, Saban looked even more like he had bitten onto a bitter apple. More than he usually does. He looked more (laughs) dour and depressing than he usually does once that happened. (laughs) I mean, five years ago, he would have jumped on Pollock. You know what? No question. It would have choked him out. How dare you say that? <laughs> we dominate college football. All right, last thing for you, Tony. Really appreciate you it, all brother. your time. Uh, I love you, man. Any balls standing out based on what you're hearing? Maybe young players, maybe maybe veterans that have not yet made an impact. Just any players at all, any positions that stand out that will potentially be household names by the end of the season, because we know with this Josh Heupel offense, I mean, guys are going to emerge. Uh, I think Tennessee's probably got the best system and the best play caller in the country right now. And as long as Heupel's there, uh, they're going to they're going to produce high, big time numbers on that offense. Well, Selden's one of them, and they've got some guys that they really feel like are going to emerge. The question is, how long? till these guys get acclimated. Look, the receiving core is gone. It's decimated. It's decimated. The issue, though, with Tennessee is, and what you'll find, one of the great mysteries is, what happened last year with those guys, with, with, with both of the draft picks that blew up? Would it with Tillman... And then with your uh, eventual Blitnikoff Award winner, which probably wouldn't happen if Tillman would have stayed healthy, mm-hmm. would that have occurred under a different coaching staff for those guys? The answer is wholeheartedly no. Would those guys be thought of the way they're thought of and drafted as highly into the NFL? The answer is wholeheartedly no. What Tennessee has is they've got a group of young playmakers 
on their receiving core that they feel very, very, very good about. And they feel like there are some kids over there that are really going to make an impact probably right away. That's why I call this year a tweener year because I think Tennessee fans are going to see a tantalizing glimpse of the future while they're looking at the present, which I find one of the magical things about college football because you've got those veteran players and then you've got those kids. And you talked before about how, I mean, if you think about it through the lens of time now, Alabama could not wait to run Jalen Hurts off. Think about that. Jalen Hurts, top five player in the NFL right now. They could not wait to run him off mm-hmm. and get to their young quarterback. And I think Tennessee is going to see some tantalizing things from a, a bunch of young guys this fall, quite frankly, um, before it's over. I, I think they feel really good about their recruiting class and then what's there in terms of some young guys to watch. Keaton's obviously going to be a guy that's got a chance to break out this year. Um, and, and there are several of them um, with him. Yeah, and t- to your point about Tillman, I believe he had seven catches in three seasons, and then Heupel comes and turns him into all-SEC NFL prospect. I mean, it's incredible. But before you go, Tony, tell the audience, best place to find all your work. So my website is tclub.team. Again, tclub.team team and we just do it every day like today there's an 1800 word blog up um and i blog every day we have contributors that help me we do a post game show uh, for every football game every basketball game some baseball games and then we have a saying around here when news breaks out we break in if something big happens uh if you've got for instance uh, an assistant football coach driving down our main thoroughfare backward um exposed and he gets arrested by the police we we will be on the air talking about it that actually happened here back in the 90s so imagine waking up and reading that in your in your newspaper that actually happened out here on kingston pike we had a, Carly Simon said those were the good old days so in anticipation which I guess leads me to this Mike you know this hypo guy is so good Mm -hmm. they have such a family oriented deal Um, he is so good that I keep saying to myself this can't be real because for forever our saying around here was we can't have nice things and this guy is so good and he's such a normal dude. He's like a normal, he is such a departure from that goofball Pruitt. It ain't even funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Well said. Well, Tony, I cannot thank you enough, man. I, I love you to death. Outstanding stuff. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon, man. Well, your father again is where it all began with you and, <laughs> He's a man of he's a man of incredible taste. Like what can I say? Thank you, brother. Good talking to you. <laughs>